You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Hello and welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. My name is Shane Duffy and I'll be hosting our leadership podcast today with Perry. Uh, We are going to talk about something that we get asked a lot about, Perry. I know you get asked a lot about Mm -hmm. this and it is... What do we do with someone to disciple them once they receive Christ? Which I, I love that because it automatically makes people sound like a project. You will be like, we must do something to you. Like so, It's good, too, because we came up with a 27-part program that, Absolutely. We, that we're going to share with everybody today on what we do with disciples or how we disciple someone. But before I do that, I just want to say by the time you guys hear this, our leadership uh, conference from September the 16th will have been completed, and it will have been awesome. And so uh, at some point we might have those uh, messages up on uh, the podcast here at the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. And if we don't, well, maybe you can get them somewhere else. But anyway. Probably bootleg copy out there. there There'll got to be some somewhere. Um, but also I just want to mention before I forget that uh, we do a conference in March every year called Unleash. It's been, a, it's been a great success over the last four years. So you don't want to miss that. This is simply how we do church. And we want to share that with you. If you want to be here, you can sign up at newspring.cc or even at unleash.cc. Unleash.cc so is check the place out. to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Will we edit that out? No, we probably won't. Let's no, just leave that in there. I'm just I'm suppressing. I, I was in, a lot of people don't know this, Shane. In the early 90s, I was in a Christian rap group. And... Um, it's, did you do the beatbox? I, no, I didn't do the beatbox, but we really wanted to be like DC Talk, and so I would. It, it was just horrible. It was it was horrible, and there's my confession for the day. There you go. Okay, right. let's leave it at that one. Let's move on. Here we go. All right. Just to be clear, Perry, Matthew uh, 29 list 28. out. I'm sorry. 28. Matthew, it's a typo. Matthew. There are no Matthew 29s. See, they, people are always accusing us of adding to the Bible. We Shane. do add to there the Bible. There you go, man. We're adding to the Bible. The great commission as jesus states it in matthew chapter 28 simply says this therefore go and make disciples and i'm just gonna stop right there perry do you believe the church is called to make disciples absolutely absolutely that is a clear calling by jesus he didn't he didn't just say make converts he said make disciples and so i mean hands down when churches go we don't make disciples. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, the only problem is Jesus told us to. So, uh, absolutely. Yep. Uh, do you think the Bible offers a specific way or format or process to making disciples? Absolutely not. Because, see, see, here, here's here's the thing. Here, here's where it's really tricky. Jesus told us what to do, um, but the beautiful thing is he didn't necessarily tell us how to do it. And so I think making disciples really is dependent upon the, the, the culture, um, the, the time period, because, you know, Shane, you and I have both been to Kenya, Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the process for disciple making in a church in the Sagara region where we were is going to look much different than it is in Anderson, South Carolina, or Atlanta, Georgia, or Dallas, Texas, or, or whatever. And so I, I love the fact that, yes, we are called to make disciples, um, I think the, the, the problem that we can get in as church leaders is when we figure out a process and then we 
judge everyone in our church and and outside of our church as to whether or not they've gone through our process. We we get we get so addicted to the process and the program, and um, I, I just so the answer is yes. We're supposed to make disciples, but man, I, I just I don't think there's a specific way we have to do it. That being said, how dangerous is it for a church to drift to the place where it's their way or the highway, so to speak? And 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 does that really happen? Yeah, it does. It it, it really it really does. And I, I think it's dangerous because, um, well, I'll, t- I'll take you back to school. Um, I'm ADD, and so I I you know, and that wasn't diagnosed in the late '70s, early '80s. I just thought I was a hyper kid, and I went to private school, so I got beat a lot. Um, but I, I, you know, I just, uh, they didn't diagnose it. So I learned different. I'm a, I'm a different learner. I, I've, I've never done well on this little bubble test because it was more fun to make really cool designs. So I, but if you sit down and explain something to me, well, I can get that. But if you're going to make me sit down and read a lot of books and stuff, it's, it's harder for me to understand. And so I, I would say that everybody learns differently. Now, for some reason, we understand that in the elementary school, high school, college arena but for some reason, when it comes to the church world, a lot of Christians think everybody should learn the same. And so a church can define a program, and your spirituality um, is measured on whether or not you've completed the program. Which, listen, I, I'm, I'm all for programs and processes in a church, but the problem is, Shane, now I've been in church world for around 20 years. I've seen people go through complete programs and processes, and they can be the biggest buttholes in the church, and they've completed every program in that church. So um, going through a program doesn't necessarily equal progress when it comes to our walk with Jesus. So that's just a huge danger. Well, that's a good segue into this next question. So who do you think is primarily responsible for someone's spiritual growth? See, here's here's the thing. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's so funny that people ask us what we do with people once they get saved. And uh, one of my answers that is not very popular sometimes is we believe that, we believe, uh, first of all, I believe with all my heart that salvation is a result of the Holy Spirit drawing someone to God. Um, And so on the flip side, and most people agree, so on the flip side of that, we just tell people we believe the same Holy Spirit that drew that man or that woman to Christ is able to continue to draw them to Christ on a consistent basis. So I would say the, the first thing that, that, that we do is, is we absolutely trust the Holy Spirit to, began the, to begin the work that he started. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now we're either going to choose to believe that verse or we're going to choose to go against it. So I would say the first step in making disciples is that the church or the church leadership has to learn to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit in that area. Why do you think that's such a struggle for some church leaders? Because we think we can do a better job. Where does that come from, you think? I think think it comes from insecurity. Um, As leaders, we're so insecure, we're like, all right, now the Holy Spirit brought that person into the kingdom, so thank you very much, Holy Spirit. Now run along, run along, run along, and uh, hang out with, you know, some other people or you know, and, and, and we'll take it from here. And so we kind of take them and force them into a program or uh, a process, and, and it totally removes the Holy Spirit from that. So I, I think it's fear. I think it's insecurity. I think a lot of leaders in the church really do have control issues, 
and we're not willing to work through those. So those are those are some of the main ones. What um, that being said, though, you would state plainly that the church is responsible to do something. Absolutely. So let me just get right to that. What do you think the church, either in general or New Spring in specifics, responsibility is in this process? Well, here, I'll, I'll go back to this. People ask us, what do you do for brand new believers? What do you do to make disciples? And my answer is, we do church. I mean, that that is mind-blowing to some people. But at the end of the day, what we do for young believers, maturing believers, really mature believers, is we do church. Um, because I have, I have a very simple goal every week when I'm teaching, and all of our communicators have it. We either want to teach you something new that you did not know, or we want to remind you of something that you've forgotten. And that, that happens all through Scripture. If you'll, I mean, in all of Paul's letters, he repeats himself. Jesus repeats himself a lot. God repeats himself a lot because he's trying to remind people. One of the most common words in the book of Deuteronomy is the word remember, where God is trying to remind people. And so there are things that we forget that we need to come to church and be reminded of, that the Holy Spirit can kind of press into our hearts and say, yes, I'm, I'm dealing with you on this issue right here. Or there are seasons in life when we come to church like, for example, um, seven years ago, I could go to a church and hear a message about parenting, and it didn't mean that much to me. I go to a church now and hear a message about parenting, and I've got a three-year-old, so it's a whole different ballgame. Um, so we remind people something new, and we teach them something we did not, they did not know. Now, one of the things we encourage is regular church attendance, not just when the Little League um, baseball season schedule will allow. Um, we encourage regular church attendance. And through that regular church attendance, let's say let's let's give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Let's say someone comes to church um, 42 out of 52 weeks a year. Now that's a stretch, but let's just let's just say that, or let's just say they come 26 out of 52 weeks. Unless, you know they're there every other week or whatever, which is what most people average. Well, if you get somebody in a room 26 times a year and you either teach them something they did not know, mm-hmm. or you remind them of something they have for, forgotten, and you drill down. On, on that idea and really push that into them um, 26 times at least that year they've been pushed pulled tugged begged whatever closer to Jesus I would say that's a pretty effective um, that that's a really really great way to do that I mean so the answer is we do church because one of the things that people ask when they say what do you do with new believers um, I've never had an unbeliever ask that question. It's always mature people um, that forgot how they became mature. Um, Spiritual growth doesn't happen in the microwave. It happens in the crock pot. But what we want to do is we automatically want to take brand new believers and put them into an eight-week program or the survival kit or the 10-week this or the 10-week that. And my fear there, Shane, is Jesus... um, and Matthew 23 really went off on the guys that did that a lot and said, you're making them twice as much the sons of hell that you are. And I'm like, oh, well, you got to pay attention to that. So ultimately, we do church. Yeah, I was just thinking if I could in, uh, incorporate 26 new ideas in my life every year, I'd be doing oh my really gosh. good. Uh, let me jump right to a really a personal question along the same lines. You mentioned that um, – the question of how do you disciple people normally comes from mature believers who have forgotten how they became mature. Yes. And so for you, how did you go from new believer to senior pastor? Like, what's your spiritual growth uh, Well, I was 
on my horse to a place called Damascus. And <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. No, they've already um, told, we've, already, we've already heard that story. Oh, my bad. God. Um, the, the, you know, Shane, honestly, here, here's what happened. Somebody kept inviting me to church. I, I started going. Um, I liked the place. I uh, thought this was cool. There were some really hot girls there. And then God began to mess with me. And, you know, he, he kind of, um, um, over a period of about two or three months, I realized I wasn't a Christian. I needed Christ. So I, I confessed Jesus and turned my life over to him. Um, and, and then something happened. In fact, something happened about two months before then, Shane. Um, somebody gave me my very first NIV student Bible. It was paperback and, you know, it had a very 90s looking cover on it. And I had never, I only had King James. And so um, I, I started reading the Bible one night. Um, and the, like two hours later, I was still reading it because I, I was like, this is the coolest stuff I've ever read in my life. And so through the reading of the Bible and through the preaching of God's Word in the church I attended, I realized I wasn't a Christian. I surrendered my life to Christ. And honestly, um, I tell the story a lot in other circles, but um, I, gave, I'm a, I gave my life to Christ on May 27, 1990. May 28th, I volunteered for Vacation Bible School, which, holy cow, if you, if you come, I come from a Southern Baptist background, so you, if you were in the church, you had to volunteer to, for a Vacation Bible School to go to heaven. So that I did that, and um, like on Thursday, Wednesday before the Thursday that week, a girl in the class said, um, "Perry, I don't have a lesson prepared for more, for tomorrow. Why don't you teach?" Well, I'd been a Christian for all of, you know, you know, seventy-two hours, so I was completely ready to teach. And so I, I got up the next morning and shared my story about how I came to Christ. Um, there were seven kids in the class, and four of them gave their lives to Christ, and I was like. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and so then um, about three or four weeks later, um, I spoke at a youth rally thing. I just gave my testimony at some church in Maryland. I was in a basement and there were a bunch of kids and eight kids gave their lives to Christ. And so I kept showing up at the church. I kept volunteering. Mm -hmm. um, I kept doing whatever they asked me to do, uh, really. So and, and so and through that, God developed a gift in me. So, so I would say that the first thing I started doing was um, regular church attendance. And that, that was a priority in my life. Uh, I just don't think you can mature as a Christian without regular church attendance. Um, and there's people that think you can, um, and they're all not maturing Christians. And I would, I would, I would say that without apology. Um, I know, and I know you listen to this thing and you have a blog. That's fine. Um, the second thing I would say is reading your Bible. Um, I just, man, I, you know, I... I've always wanted to hear God's Word, and I don't know. I mean, when I became a Christian, even before I became a Christian, I'm like, this is the coolest book I've ever read, so read, mm -hmm. read my Bible. And the third area was serving. I, be, I began to serve. I literally would show up and do anything they asked me to do, whether it's stacking chairs or, you know, what whatever. I remember working in the nursery one time. Wasn't my gift, but, but I did it because... I'm like, man, after all Jesus has done for me, this is what, I, yes, yes, change a diaper, yes, I'll do that. Um, those are just some of the, the, just three of the things that pop out in my mind. Well, that makes me think about, you mentioned Sundays, we do church, we do church each week, and that's part of our discipleship process, but what comes from church is several other opportunities Absolutely. for people to be discipled. I'll just rattle off a few. Um, baptism, we push people to get baptized, that's a step in the discipleship process. We've got a membership we now call an ownership class that's a very detailed class just to start with those two those are things we push people to how important are they in the discipleship process i think they're huge because baptism is the first step that jesus asked us to take is to go public to identify 
with our faith in Christ. And so we, we do, we, we teach through that. About once a year or once every other year, I'll dedicate an entire Sunday to teaching mm-hmm. through baptism, to teaching through that concept and then calling for commitment. Um, I, I believe it's an elementary teaching that we should all understand, but it's amazing to me the number of people that have grown up in church that don't understand it. And I'm like, well, um, let's just teach through it. Um, membership slash ownership class is basically a two and a half hour Bible study. Yep. And we really dig into the scriptures and go through our, our core values to go through. Um, I do salvation and baptism in that class. And we always have people receive Christ in there. Um, th- those are huge. It's huge for someone to understand um, Jesus has saved me. I'm to go public for him and I need to identify with a local church. And there's a great opportunity for them to figure out if this is the church for them or they need to go somewhere else. That's good. And mentioned uh, we have lots of serving opportunities both inside and outside the church. Yep. So we're constantly reminding people of that. And recently you just taught on uh, both uh, Christian community and giving. Let's yep. hit both of those things in the discipleship process. Well, the thing about Christian community is... I think the church is finding out um, a lot of churches the hard way that you can't force Christian community. You just can't. Um, but the the tension, although Andy Stanley says tensions are to be managed, um, and so the tension that we've got to manage in that is, well, you can't force Christian community, but I really do believe that Christian community is essential for the health of a believer. I'll go back and say even in my own journey, Christian community was essential for me. I mean, I hung out with friends that really did love Jesus and and really did spur and encourage me to do the same. So Christian community is huge. So we provide opportunities mm-hmm. for that. But the thing that our church has done, we finally recognize this, is we'll teach on communities, we'll provide opportunities for people to get involved in groups. But we tell people, hey, you know what? Um, I understand some of you are not going to be involved in a New Spring group. That's great. That's okay. We want you to have Christian community. Um, for example, one of my really good friends who attends this church, who's here every week, who volunteers, he's not in a New Spring group. But he and his wife have a group of people that meet in his home. Um, some of them go to other churches. Some of them don't go to church at all. And that is their community group. Mm-hmm. And they do it every And you know what? I am so okay with that. Once again... When the church feels like they have to control the community groups, when they're like, if you're not in a blank, blank church group, then you're not in, you know, if you're not in our church group, then you're not in a community group. Well, the, the problem with that is I think it's a little unbiblical. Mm-hmm. I mean, what church community group was Paul in? Um, he he kind of had a traveling small group. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I mean, he, he had community everywhere he went. So the thing that we teach with community is you've got to be in a community group, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a community group here. Because at the end of the day, Shane, I don't really care if I ever can get on stage and go, 85% of the people that come to New Spring are in a community group. I, I don't I don't care. I don't ever care if I can make that statement or not. But we've got to push people in that direction and continue to provide that opportunity. And then giving, oh my gosh. I mean, Jesus said... The number one spiritual indicator of where a person's heart is is by where they put their money. And so I think the church needs to teach on money unapologetically. It's the Shane, it's the only thing we teach on that we apologize for. Yep. We never get up and go, I'm gonna preach about sin today. Any of y'all that happen to be, you know, living in sin, I'm so sorry. Please come back next week. I know we're so misunderstood. We apologize. 
I think the pastor should get up and teach on money with authority um, and with accountability, knowing mm-hmm. that he can get up and know that the church is not screwing around with the finances. But giving is one of those things that people need to be challenged to do on a consistent basis because we assume that people are just going to show up and give. we got to teach what the Bible says about it, why the Bible says we're to do it. And, yeah, it's, it's tough, but, you know, we, we've got to obey the Scriptures. Yep, I would even say that if you are not giving you, I don't care how well you're doing in other disciplines, you're not being a very good disciple. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, it's all, and 15% of his teachings had to do with giving. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He said, money is the number one, um, number one competitor for God, for between us and God. You cannot serve both God and, he said, mm-hmm. money, not the devil. He said, money. Um, I would have put the devil in there, but he said, you know, devil's probably number two or number three. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Um, yeah, people got to get their money right. Another thing I want to hit, uh, that you know new spring does uh, is number one we have always done some level of seminar several times a year whether it's yes. a financial learning experience uh new married classes various things like that recently you taught uh, an evangelism i'm sorry an apologetics or evangelism, evangelism yeah. seminar and uh, at every campus things like that our website we have all of our past messages on there all of the resources we have for both churches and for individuals bible reading plans we give away bibles things like that why do you why is that so important to you that we do everything we can do to either teach people on things that are important in the moment or provide all our resources for free Uh, why is that so important to you and how does that fit into the discipleship process you know, we made a decision, I mean, we made a decision to give Bibles away a long time ago. Uh, the Bible says that His Word will not return void. And so, to me, that's not our church spending money, that's our church investing money, because that person, if they will actually read that book we gave them, is going to continue to change their life. Um, so, I, I'm all for, let's give, them, let's give them Bibles. I mean, one of the most frustrating things for a person who comes to church and sits there, and the pastor preaches a message because i used to do this and i was so horrible at it the pastor will preach a message on read your bible read your bible read your bible read your bible and then you you don't you don't know what to read because because honestly and i know some people will disagree with me um but they're wrong uh and i'm fine with that uh honestly i don't think the best thing to do for a brand new believer is tell them start in genesis and just read through because they're going to get to Leviticus and they're killing goats and bulls and all kinds of stuff, and then you don't know what happened to the scapegoat, and then I mean it just gets crazy. It's 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 completely nuts. So or um, I know literally some people that have started with the Book of Revelation, um, and and it's just and by the way it's Revelation. It's not Revelations. <laughs> it's one Revelation. It's kind of like it's Walmart, not Walmart's, or it's New Spring, not New Springs. Although we do have multiple campuses. Anyway, so people will start with Revelation. And um, they'll get all freaked out or whatever. And so that's one of the reasons we provide. Now we do messages that go read your Bible. Oh, here's a Bible reading plan if you want to read through the Scriptures. Um, I think last time we did it, we provided four separate plans, a 30-day, a 60-day, a 120-day, and then a year Bible plan. Um, So And then the seminars thing, we just did an evangelism seminar. And, God, that blew my mind where I taught a message on... Uh, the topic of the message was found people, find people. And then I said, hey, if you're interested in learning how to share your faith um, with someone, which, by the way, that's a part of becoming a disciple is learning how to tell somebody about what you experienced. 
if you want to learn how to share your faith, come to this seminar. We provided it for free. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, we fed people and provided childcare. But that's how important that was for us as a church. We just said, hey, this is something we're going to rally around. I personally traveled to every campus and taught it live. We saw over 4,000 people show up and go through that class. And it has, I mean, it has given confidence. I mean, I got stopped by a parker the other day on the way out of the parking lot who told me, thanks for that class. I just led a friend of mine to Christ this week at work. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, that, that's, that's what you want to hear. I mean, mm-hmm. that, so we provide all kinds of opportunities. Now we do it in seminars. And listen, I'm, I'm not against, I'm not against um, the church providing the eight-week study or the 12-week study or the 15-week study or the 87-week study or whatever. But what we've discovered is that we live in the busiest society we've ever had. I mean, Shane, I've only got one little girl. She's three. You've got four boys. I mean, I talk to you sometimes, and you go, this one's playing this, and this one's playing this. I mean, you're going all different ways, and so I don't need one more thing every week to do. But we've seen as a church that if you'll give somebody a one-shot deal, Tuesday night for two hours, we're going to study this. Saturday morning for three hours, we're going to study this and really focus in on that. Man, I've honestly seen way more fruit come out of that because in in an eight-week Bible study, most people, your best attenders are going to be there six times. But in a seminar, bam, like you can just nail that and and give them homework, provide follow-up. Yeah, that seems to pay big dividends for us. And, um, you know, you said something in there about the things we provide giving confidence yes. to people in their faith. And that really is what the discipleship process is about, is growing in your understanding and your confidence in the hope you have in Christ. And so with that, I just ask this. Do you feel like the church is more responsible to create environments that spoon-feed people information or create self-feeders? Both. I believe both. I believe there are when I'm teaching someone something new. If I've got a if I've got a very immature believer in the congregation, um, I believe it's my job to break down that Bible passage in a way that's simple and easy to understand. Um, I believe that if I preach where everyone leaves confused every week um, or thinking how smart I am, that I have failed as a preacher. Mm-hmm. I want people to understand it on the on the lowest level possible because that's what Jesus did. That's why he had kids around him all the time. Because I mean, kids kids don't hang out with the deep teacher. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They, I mean, they're like, hey, I can understand this guy because he's always telling stories and you know and walking on water and cool stuff like that. So I I believe that's my job, and I believe that's what we call putting the that's what we call putting mm-hmm. the cookies on the bottom shelf. Um, so I believe that does technically feed people. On the flip side, um, I've got one hour a week with most people. And so there, there's a lot of other hours in that week that if you really want to grow and mature as a Christian, um, you've got to learn how to pick up your own spoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that way when people, tell, when people say to a pastor, I'm not being fed, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, that is not an indication of that pastor's spirituality. That is an indication of their own spirituality because that most likely they're not actually reading their Bibles. And if they are, they're reading their Bibles for information and not for transformation. They're not trying to renew their heart and their mind. And so I, I would say, yeah, we, we're charged as leaders to make sure that people understand 
the gospel, people understand the message, people understand the principles in the scripture, but we're, people have got to own their own spiritual growth. They've got to own it. Like, I've got a three-year-old. I can put so much food on the table for her, it's not funny. But, man, we're going to have problems if I try to hold her down and force food down her mouth. You know what I've discovered? <laughs> when somebody's hungry, they eat. It's the same, it's the same thing spiritually. If a person is hungry, they will eat. They will not sit around and scream and complain, somebody's not feeding me. Mm-hmm. If somebody's hungry, they'll eat. I don't, I don't lay around my house when I get hungry and, and yell at Lucretia, you're not feeding me. I go to the refrigerator or I go to Sonic's, usually where I go, <laughs> get some money drinks. Well, let me ask you this. Would you agree or disagree with this statement? The church is responsible to shepherd people but it is not responsible for their growth. The church is... Re- I mean, this is brand new. I didn't even hear... I didn't even read this. The church I just is responsible to shepherd people, but it's not responsible for their growth. I would say... I'm going to be a politician here. I would say yes and no, because I do think we're, we're responsible to shepherd people. I, w- I would say, actually, Shane... Um, in, in most ways, I agree with that because we are charged to shepherd the people. Shepherding requires care. Shepherding requires nurture. Shepherding requires discipline. Shepherding requires leadership. And so we've got to do our best to lead the sheep. But ultimately, if I'm a shepherd and I've got a sheep that will not eat and Man, I'm leading that thing every to all the right places. And by the way, all the other sheep are growing. All the other sheep are being nurtured. Um, I'm leading that sheep to water, but that sheep will not drink. Um, ultimately, no, I'm not responsible. Yeah. Because a pastor can do everything. I, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Before I was um, in... Um, a senior pastor, I was a youth pastor. And I, I remember um, just very, very, very um, vividly, I had a youth group, and I had uh, three kids in my youth group that um, that they, you know, we would go out to lunch, we'd go out to dinner, I poured into them, I invested in them, and they chose to walk away from Jesus. And I had literally three other kids in my youth group that chose to walk with Jesus, had the same opportunities that these other kids had, and now all those kids, it's really kind of funny, all those kids are now on staff um, here at New Spring Church. So I feel like I did the best job I could to shepherd them, to lead them in the right direction. But ultimately, three of them chose to walk with the Lord and three of them chose to walk away from the Lord. And I've had to understand that if they didn't grow, it's not because I didn't give effort. I mean, I really did honestly try to shepherd them, but ultimately... Um, if you if you do all that you can and somebody doesn't grow, you, you can't you can't you can't say that that's your fault. Yep, it's important. It sounds like what you're saying. It's important to understand the responsibility as a leader to create opportunities for growth. And if you can look in the mirror or look into the face of of God and say, yeah, "I've done everything you put before me," but yet people don't drink when you let them to the water, you can't own that responsibility. The, the thing, the biggest thing to understand about spiritual growth is that it's a process and not a program. It's a process and not a program. It takes place over time. The Apostle Paul 
And Philippians 3 said he's still growing spiritually. Mm -hmm. I have not obtained this. I press on towards what... I mean, that's the Apostle Paul. We're talking to the guy that healed people. And he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to know Jesus. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It, but it's, it's a process. Saying that... It, it's it's kind of like going to the gym. Like if somebody is is like really out of shape, um, they're not going to be able to go to the gym and within a week run a marathon. You know, it takes time. In fact, usually it takes three months for somebody to even tell, hey, you've been going to the gym, hadn't you? Mm-hmm. And it takes a year usually for significant results take place unless you're doing p90x um then it takes 90 days uh didn't work for me but i didn't really follow the eating plan so which which goes back into it you got to follow you got to follow the plan but it's 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 a process it's a process i know people that said i'm gonna lose weight and they quit four days in because they didn't lose 20 pounds yeah um but that's okay because richard simmons will give them a hug i'm just saying that it's it's a process and I look at where I am now compared to where I am 20 years ago, and you know what? I'm walking closer with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So over the process of the past 20 years, I'm I'm walking closer with Him. Can can programs be used to draw us closer to Christ? Absolutely. But when we when we pigeonhole someone into saying that is the program you need to use to grow closer to Christ, and it's the only thing that works, man, that's dangerous ground. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a good place to end uh, this conversation. I mean, we've covered several things where uh, the question is, how do we disciple someone who just received Christ? We do church and everything that comes from that, creating opportunities for growth, both in uh, giving people the things they need to learn and trusting the Holy Spirit that He will grow them. Because, like you said in Philippians one six, God, uh, Jesus promises to finish what he starts. So with that, Perry, any final thoughts before we before we check out? I would just say it's important for church leaders to know the um to to know the process that they're going to go through. Like we, you set a church leader down here at New Spring Church. We can define that. We're going to do church. Here's what we want to get out of it. Here's what our goals are. Here are the seminars. Here's the plan. Like we know. I would say a church needs to know its process. Um, if programs are a part of that, praise God. But the, the biggest thing you need to know is this is the process we take people through to grow spiritually. And ultimately, we just go, oh my gosh, we do church. You look at people in the scriptures, what happened, they met together. Day, there, was a, there was just a process. What a program was a process. Well, that's good. Well, once again, thanks to everyone out there who's listened to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast for September 2010. And we will see you next month. Take care. Bye.